Listener production. Hello, Tom Tilly and Rihanna Patrick with you. In this episode of The Briefing, uh, it's a story you brought to the table, Rihanna, the Aussie heavy metal band that have gone to extraordinary lengths to go green. Yeah, they're called In Hearts Wake and they've just released a doco called Green is the New Black and I don't think I've ever seen a band go to these lengths to really minimise their environmental impact. We're working with companies to basically use melted down vinyl that had already been created and repurposed into these one-of-a-kind records. You didn't know what colour you were going to get. It was this, we called it the molten, where it was just boiled, boiled down and marbled into this new creation. Yeah, it's incredible the effort this band has gone to. We're going to speak to the front man, Jake Taylor, right after today's headlines. First, here they are. It is Friday, October 21. Breaking news out of the UK, Liz Truss, the UK Prime Minister, has resigned after just 44 days in office, making her the United Kingdom's shortest serving leader. We set out a vision for a low tax, high growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognise though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. Oh dear, this is crazy. So more than a dozen of her own MPs have been calling on her to resign. So rather than being forced out, she's called the King to say it's over. So she only became the Prime Minister on September 6. And then, as you probably know from listening to the briefing, she sent financial markets into freefall with her plan for big tax cuts and an energy price guarantee. And even though she's backflipped on most of those policies, she couldn't win her colleagues back because essentially, as she just said, that's the platform she ran on. Yeah, and they're planning to elect a replacement by the end of next week. And there's also rumours and unnamed sources saying that Boris Johnson may just make a comeback. Yeah, so that will be very interesting and entertaining. (laughs) I mean, wow. I mean, I said at the time when Boris Johnson was turfed out that removing a leader for bad behaviour rather than core policy failure was problematic because, you know, what mandate does the new leader have? Is Is it to be better behaved? You know, Liz Truss wasn't throwing illegal parties at 10 Downing Street, but her core policies sent the country into a bit of a spin Um, And now Bojo could be coming back. What do you make of all this chaos, Rihanna? Oh, look, it's, I I don't think we saw it coming. Um, And I think it now, I mean, the bookmakers are putting Rishi Sunak, who actually lost out to her um, when he Mm. ran for the top job earlier this year. And so they've got him at the favourite at the moment. Um, But I was interested in knowing who was the shortest PM Prime Minister before Liz Truss took the honour. And it's George Canning, who was only in the job for 118 days in the 1820s. um, And his time was cut short because of death. (laughs) So actual death rather than political death. Yes. And a secret controversial affair has undone Green Senator Lydia Thorpe. So she resigned yesterday as Deputy Senate Leader of the Greens due to her undisclosed relationship with an ex-bikey boss. Yeah, Thorpe had attended a major briefing on an AFP operation around the time she was dating Dean Martin um, and she was also sitting on a law enforcement committee. She said in a statement, I accept that I have made mistakes and have not exercised good judgment. 
Senator Thorpe needed to disclose to me her connection to Mr Martin and her failure to do so showed a significant lack of judgment. Now, I've spoken to Senator Thorpe. She has told me that at no stage was there any breach, no sharing of confidential information. Yeah, this story is pretty messy as well. So that's Greens leader Adam Bant. Um, it's really thrown into question what's going on in his office too because unnamed former staffers have told nine newspapers um, that her staffers were worried about it and they told someone in his office, but that message did not get passed on to Adam Bant. He only found out this week. She's admitted that it was an oversight, she's made a mistake and has done the right thing by stepping down. Very, very messy though. Um, so we don't know that much about the relationship. She said they briefly dated in early 2021. Now, Dean Martin, this guy, he has no criminal convictions himself, but decades of outlaw motorcycle affiliation is enough to raise concerns. His brother, Shane Martin, um, was deported for links to the rebels. And if you do recognise that last name, yes, Shane Martin is the father of AFL legend Dustin Martin. The predicted river peak is being pushed back. Yeah, so yesterday we brought you a briefing from Echuca on the Murray River. Um, this is a town about three hours north of Melbourne. And they were expecting um, the rivers to peak around about today. And the town had been working around the clock, building a levee bank through town and sandbagging intensively. Um, but that peak prediction is slowly being pushed back and it now appears that it won't come until Tuesday. The only good news for them is that the rivers that are feeding into the Murray, they are in decline. Bureau's latest predictions has, has got us peaking on Tuesday at the moment. Rob Kinnean from New South Wales SES there. And a low-pressure system is dumping rain across Queensland, which has led to flood watches in central and southern parts for this weekend. Yeah, so there's more rain coming across New South Wales, Victoria and Tasmania in the coming days, which is uh, really concerning. And still those rivers are rising um, down around the Murray River country. Our thoughts go to those communities who are just in a holding pattern waiting for that water to come. Hopefully the peak just slowly gets pushed out and, and never does the damage that um, everyone's fearing. Um, there's been a bit more news about the Bureau of Meteorology's rebrand. They've come out now after the controversy this week of spending $220,000 on this rebrand and said people can refer to them in any way they wish. So it appears they've caved to the pressure. Um, they haven't weathered the storm, pun intended. But, you know, if you're going to spend that money, you may as well stick with the rebrand, right? The ACT has passed Australia's most lenient drug laws, decriminalising small amounts of commonly used illicit drugs. From October 2023, possession of heroin, cocaine and ice will be among nine illicit drugs where users will be fined or referred to counselling rather than being levelled with criminal charges. We are not encouraging people to use drugs and we are not facilitating the trafficking or dealing of drugs with this change. That's the ACT's Health Minister, Rachel Stephen-Smith. Um, so that's an interesting distinction. Um, trafficking or dealing drugs will still be illegal, but possessing these quantities um, won't be. You'll be looking at a $100 fine, a diversion or a caution. Um, so I was really interested to see, Rihanna, what the quantities would be. And mm. to be honest with you, in in my opinion, they're, they're bigger than... I expected, talking about uh, being allowed to carry 1.5 grams of cocaine, 
that's, you know, street value roughly of $450 worth or, or three grams of MDMA, that is not a small amount. That could, if someone took all of that, they'd be in serious trouble. Anyway, this is a really interesting move by the ACT. It follows what, what is already happening in a number of European countries. And I'll be really interested to see if any of the states ever head in this direction. Yeah, and of course, this is going to take another 12 months to come into effect. But uh, the ACT is the only state or territory to legalise personal use of cannabis, um, which is falling in line, as you say, with what is happening in the rest of the world right now. Yeah, I, I think it will be a long time before any of the states go for this kind of policy, though, but I could be wrong. And in just a moment, green is the new black. So when you think about metal, you probably think of the colour black, but today we're talking about a band that's gone green. In Hearts Wake is one of Australia's leading heavy music acts. They're from Byron Bay, they've been going for 15 years, they're five albums in, and they're constantly touring Australia and the world. And in the last couple of years, they've been on a quite a different journey. It's a journey to completely turn upside down their environmental impact. So they've made a documentary about this called Green is the New Black and they have done some very novel things in the music industry to reduce their impact. Let's find out how far they've gone. Jake Taylor is the frontman of In Hearts Wake and the director of the doco. Jake, thanks so much for joining us. So when did the environment become a big deal for you guys? Look, we're from the Northern Rivers. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I guess as we started touring the world, we started to realize that that disconnect that was happening in a lot of the places we were playing and how it affected like the natural world being in absence to us affected us. When we come back home, we realized how nurturing that felt. And then we wanted to be, you know, a custodian or uh, help preserve and protect that as much as possible. And it just naturally integrated into our music, into our art and into our mission. Jake in Heartswake has always been an environmentally driven band, but what was it that made you then want to, I guess, kick it up a notch? Well, look, 10 years ago, we were planting trees for, for records. We were doing all, all kinds of, you know, environmental feats as, as they were titled, but it got to a point where we were doing these marine debris cleanups with our fans instead of signings. And the things that we were picking up in these marinas, you know, were plastic city cases. There were all these different bits of clothing and pool toys and that was just a big, you know, whack on the head. Wow, this is the same shit that we're, we've got on stage and we're creating on tour. Yeah, and then you went to the effort of actually getting a proper measurement on your carbon footprint. So what was the breakdown? Which parts of what you do had the most impact? And were there any surprises for you? I mean, we all expected flying would be the biggest and the most. And it was, but I don't think we were anticipating it would be kind of in the three-quarter mark. Of, mm. of what we emit, right. you know, it's really, it's the hard one. Like, how are you going to get to America and, and play a show? You can't catch a boat and wait six weeks. Um, it's just not going to work. So that that's definitely the biggest surprise. And I think the solution there is to just less is more. Like, make it count when you go there, and no need to return five times mm. in a year. How are you doing that? You've have how much have you cut down your international touring, and can you still? make the same amount of money or if you had to accept that you won't make as much? I think everything's changed since the pandemic in terms of money. Like nothing is accurate 
if I'm being completely honest. Ticket sales are different. They'll happen in the last week. There's so much doubt. This can, you know, it, so it's hard to really answer that question from a financial point of view. But I still believe the less is more model is like it should be in all business. I always look to Patagonia as a great example of that. Like these smaller runs, focus on quality, offer warranty, and really be there in service and be transparent with, you know, as much as possible where your thing is coming from and why you're doing it. And so that goes into our records now. You know, they're on carbon offset. We try and offset the whole experience, how we create it, and it goes on recycled materials, all our merchandise. We've switched. And when it comes to the touring, yeah, like let the the fans know that we're not going to be there five times this year. Like this is the this is the time that we're coming. Let's make it count. Jake, I mean, what has been the cost, I guess, because music is a business. So then how do you factor that in with, I guess, the change that you're, you're trying to make and, you know, and taking that change in a way that I guess is, is more in tune with what you're trying to do rather than, I guess, just talking the talk? Well, it doesn't cost a heck of a lot more. I can't give a budget on that because that's going to be different every year. If we tour more, yeah, it's, there's going to be more emissions, la-di-da. Um, but in the bigger scheme of things, it's quite a fractional cost. We just have accepted that just like getting an accountant, you know, we all have accountants that do our bookkeeping. This is just part of what we do. Like it's, and it should be, it, it should be the norm, we believe. It was really interesting, the doco, seeing how you made the records, um, that they were wrapped in recycled paper and it looked like you took a, a hugely different approach. Tell us how that all worked. The statement there was for us that we written down was, you know, can we create a record with no no plastic that is on recycled materials? And that was the mission. So we sought out to do that. And that had to go into our packaging, the way it was shipped, and obviously the way it was created and manufactured. We were working with companies to basically use melted down vinyl that had already been created and repurposed into these one-of-a-kind records. We didn't know what color you were going to get. It was this, we called it the molten, where it was just mm-hmm. boiled boiled down and marbled into this new creation and then put into recycled materials and then not wrapped in plastic but put in this sort of ribbon that went around the record that told you what variant it was and it kept the record from falling out. And then that went into a recycled box with paper-based tape and then shipped with carbon offset shipping. And that was our way of, of doing that and we did them in smaller runs. That sounds kind of cool. I imagine some of this stuff actually might win you more fans and, and win you more business because people are like, well, that's a really interesting thing just for the process and the way you've gone about it and I guess the unique nature of that end product. It's cool, but it's it's not to win business or to be a stunt because like we are as artists and the way we make music, you know, we try to be creative, be it the new instrument as a metal band or bringing in a ukulele and trying to do something softer, mm. but also how we operate. We want to be creative as artists and that challenge is something that excites us and it also feels there's a rightness in the in the research and the journey of that can it be done and knowing that it might not be possible but also where we've accepted that it might not be perfect even if we find a solution but it's just the best thing we have and that that's just yes yeah, it's just weaving into us as creatives so have you gone back and measured your carbon footprint again after making all these changes so the way it works is we did the record, we accounted yeah, for everything, came up with a footprint of that, and then we continued accounting for the rest of the year to the full financial year. And so 
working with a, a, cal- a carbon consultant, which we have aptly called our Earth accountant, mm-hmm. um, we basically were able to find out what the full year was and then we declare that data and those emissions and we offset that by 150% and then we keep accounting in the years following. So we went back and we did, I guess it was two years from that record and then we hit a sort of a pandemic and now we're back into touring and so we're just um, right now putting in for our last year um, which you know ended in the financial year. And so we just keep going as if it was like, like tax, essentially, but um, something a bit more positive. What are some of those ways that you offset, uh, Jake, and mm. who do you use? We picked a project that had all these co-benefits and it was in the Yarra Yarra Biodiversity Corridor in um, Western Australia. And so it wasn't just like, hey, let's put a bunch of trees in the ground. It was actually on land that had been pre-farmland that had been converted and returned back to the First Nations ownership. And it was jobs and First Nations people doing it. It was bringing in wildlife. It just had all these, be- just co- so many co-benefits that it just made perfect sense for us. And so we've done that the last couple of years all in that spot. And, you know, outside of just accounting for carbon, like uh, with, you know, numbers, we plant trees for tickets, but we don't have that. That's not, an, uh, that's not per carbon per tree. We just do that in Africa and in Australia and all over. So we have sort of, other ways that we're just reseeding it all, if that makes sense. And so what's going on in the broader heavy metal community? Do you, do you feel like there's a lot of people thinking in the same way you guys are? Do you think your corner of the whole music world is particularly focused on this or not focused on this in general? Um, you know, I'm a complete outsider. I'm into like disco music, which is probably on the opposite end of the spectrum. So as an outsider, I, I sort of see heavy metal as, macho and you know i don't think of it necessarily as a bunch of hippies or greenies um so in a way this story came out as a bit of a surprise but obviously i'm very ignorant about the whole scene so what is it like inside the the community are these are these conversations that lots of people are having or are you guys complete outliers great question and i totally i love yeah i love the the underdog and the misconception about what's happening in the scene Look, there's heavy metal and there's all different facets within that. You know, there's black metal or the macho stuff. And then there's also like coming from, if you, if you trace it back to rock and roll, which was just was, you know, it was a rebellion in a sense and mm. back to punk, hardcore. These are all the roots and stems of what we're, we're playing, at least our, our vein of, of, of metal. Look, it's always been a voice for change against the status quo, not conforming, whether it's mohawks, whether it's tattoos, whether it's piercings, whether it's human rights, like it's always been, so at least in my field and perception, I can name so many bands. Rage Against the Machine might not be metal, but like they've mm. been a huge voice for the people speaking out what, what they feel is not right. The, the fans and the, the people themselves, they might look scary, you know, be covered in, yeah, whether it's tattoos or the armor that it, it's perceived as. They actually really, really care, whether it's through, getting involved in Sea Shepherd cleanups to, yeah, all forms of things. Jake, what's been the response from, I guess, other sectors in the music industry then? So we've had some incredible, um, like, I don't want to name names, but let's just say some ARIA-nominated, you know, artists that are in the mainstream that heard through the grapevine there was a, a met some metal band they never heard of doing some stuff, and I got to speak with them and offer a bit of what we've learned. 
So from what I'm seeing, there's a huge surge and, and desire to change, especially in Australia, and to evolve. It's just also acknowledging we're a system built on fossil fuels already in the industry. Like, I can't, how do I change that and say that on socials when I'm catching private jets and blah, 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 with these people. So it's, a, it's, it's really hard for artists in the spotlight on that level to just come out and get amongst it. But you've seen things shape like changing with Billie Eilish and Coldplay, Massive Attack, like there's, there's stuff happening. That was Jake Taylor from In Heart's Wake. What a huge amount of effort they've gone to, Rihanna. Yeah, that can't have been easy, but kudos to them because that takes a lot to think about it at the the level that they have and just watching the doco and seeing just how much thought they had to put into it and how much they had to learn along the way as well. Yeah, and a lot of this was happening during the pandemic. So in a way, it was actually a really good time to stop rethink and reset the way they do things and now they're finally firing up their their touring again and doing it in a way that's way more sustainable. Yeah, but Tom, if I'm honest, I'm not surprised that it's someone in the heavy music sector of the industry doing this. I feel like um, particularly metal uh, has always been a scene that has been quite progressive. They always seem to sing about issues. Um, So to see a band doing this and Uh, Again, taking it further and really trying to back what it is that they're doing and putting that into some real practice uh, was not surprising to me at all. Mm. Um, But it's so good to see a band doing something like this. Yeah, well, I've I've never understood a single lyric from a heavy metal song, so it was actually great for me to hear (laughs) some of the thoughts behind the music. Okay, that's it for your Monday to Friday briefing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast throughout the week. Tomorrow, the weekend briefing will be in your feed with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who are you interviewing this week? This weekend, I have had a conversation with Allegra Spender. She is one of the famous Teal Independents. She's a former businesswoman and she's now the member for Wentworth, which used to be Malcolm Turnbull's seat. It covers some of Sydney's super wealthiest suburbs. Spender is a fascinating person. She comes from a high-profile family. Her mother was the late fashion designer Carla Zampatti and both her dad and her grandfather were also members of parliament. And I wanted to get to know what she was about, what she wants to achieve from the crossbench of the Australian parliament. And we have unpacked a whole host of political issues that gave some really interesting answers. Yeah, that is another really good interview on the weekend briefing. Get around that one. Allegra Spender, yeah, as as you said, Jamila, is a fascinating person and um, it was quite a an interesting contest in the seat of Wentworth against Dave Sharma. So get around that one. Um, a huge thank you to our hardworking team here at the briefing, executive producer Dan Mullins, uh, news producers Eleanor Harrison Dengate, Brooke Lowther, and our socials team, Sarah Boll and Poppy Manzi, and our editor, Matt Kuz Curry. Have a great weekend. We'll speak to you soon. Listener.